So this fall, we've been in the New Testament book called Hebrews. We've been going chapter by chapter and unpacking what it has to say about Jesus and the difference he makes when we're discouraged and when we're drifting. Over and over again, as you read through the story of Hebrews, it invites us to think about Jesus and what we have because of him. Because when you do that, Hebrews is telling us this message that we find hope and the help that we need to trust God until the very end. And today, as we come to Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to see this theme picked up once again and elaborated on. And we're going to see that starting right away in verse 1 of chapter 12. Look with me there as it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So this chapter begins by comparing human life to the running of a race. It says that a race has been set before us and that each of us is a participant in it. Each of us is running. Each of us is responsible for the race that we're in. And each of us needs to pay attention to the way that we're running this race that is set before us. And Hebrews 12 is going to help us think about this race. It's going to help us think about life and how we run it and how we can reach the end of this race that we're in with our faith intact. It's going to teach us what this race looks like what it looks like to run it well and how we can trust God to the very end. And to help us with that, it's going to give us this image of a race. And in fact, this is something that the Bible does quite often, is using this image of a race or a long journey and comparing it to our lives. For example, in the part of the Bible about Jesus uh, called the New Testament, uh, a man named Paul said his only aim in life was to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus had given him, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. In another place, this same Paul, he wrote that the one thing he wanted to do was to press on toward the goal, to win the prize for which God had called him heavenward in Christ Jesus. From the Bible's perspective in the New Testament and even in places in the Old Testament, life is like running a race or taking a long journey. There's a starting point, a finish line, and in the middle is this long race to the end. And you and me, that's where we are at right now. We're in the middle of that race. We're on that long run towards a finish line at the very end. And here's the reality about this race is that this Part of the race is a place of pressure. It's a place of difficulty. It's not always easy. It's going to require more of us than we are sometimes able to give. Of course, there will be good times and great seasons. But this race is long and it's often hard. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And there will be moments where you lose heart, moments where you get tired, moments where you think about giving up. And in Hebrews, this is, this is the story. This is what the people it's written to were experiencing, they were under pressure from external forces. They were discouraged and they were becoming more and more tempted to walk away from Jesus and their faith. Their life experience was difficult. They were on the race, they were running, but it was hard. And they were discouraged and they were slowly drifting away or at least being tempted to. That's the situ situation of Hebrews. And it always amazes me when I read the Bible, how relevant it is to our life today. 
Because living in 2022, even living over the last few years, just take the last few years in and of themselves. Well, it's not been easy, has it? I mean, we had this global pandemic and now we're living with the hangover of that pandemic. There's the uncertainty that we experience. There's these massive tectonic shifts in culture that are going on right now. There's the pressure that we feel from outside influences. There's the pain that we feel on the inside. And then there's the pace of life that we're running at, this frenetic, hurried, full calendar, breakneck speed pace that we're running at. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it just feels like you're running into the wind, like nothing is easy. And if, if, if Hebrews has something to say, and if you're sitting here today, it's that life can leave you tired. It can leave you discouraged and wondering, how am I ever going to make it to the end? How will I ever reach the end and be able to say what Paul said at the end of his life is that I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. See, that's what I want to be able to say at the end of my life, don't you? That I reached the end. That I made it with my faith intact. That I finished the race that God put before me. That's what I want to be able to say on my deathbed, in my last moments on this earth. I want to say those things. And, and honestly, though, sometimes I wonder if I'll ever get there. I sometimes wonder, how will I ever be able to say that? How will I reach the end and say that with Paul? And, and maybe you feel that way too today. Maybe... You're tired, maybe you're losing heart, maybe you're discouraged, maybe you're drifting. And if you, if you do feel that, if you join me in that feeling, or maybe that's where you're at today, then here's the question that I think Hebrews 12 and Hebrews in general is inviting us to ask, is how do you trust God to the end when you're discouraged and you're tired? How do you do that? I think that's a key question that Hebrews is trying to answer. And Hebrews 12 is gonna answer honestly, and it's going to tell us that it's going to require faithful endurance. And it's going to require the long view of life to make it to the end. Both are needed. Both are important as we run this race. First, you have endurance, which is the, the power to withstand hardship and stress. It's the ability to, to persevere and continue on despite the challenges that you face. Not just in spurts, but over the long haul for all of life until you get to the end of the race and you finally see Jesus face to face and you enter into his rest. That's what it's going to take. It's gonna take a faithfulness to Jesus day after day after day after day until that day that you cross the finish line of life. That's the race we're in. It's a marathon. It is not a sprint. And so Hebrews 12 says you have to have faithful endurance and you have to take the long view of life and you need to learn how to run so that you can enter into that eternal rest one day. And again, Hebrews 12 is going to show us a way to do that. And the way it shows us how to do that, at least one way, is through that word that you see in verse 3, the word consider. That word means, in the original language, think about carefully, to dwell on, to contemplate it's this idea of slowing down enough to actually think deeply enough about something that it actually makes a difference in your life. And this isn't the first time that this idea or theme has shown up in Hebrews. In fact, all the way back in Hebrews chapter 2, it says this right in the first verse. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. 
See, from the very beginning and all the way up to this moment, Hebrews wants us to pay closer attention to what we've heard. It wants us to think carefully about it, to, to not just think about anything we want, but to slow down and to consider Jesus and what he's done. It wants us to pay attention again to what we've heard and received and being given by God because that will help you run the race that you're in all the way to the end. And I get it. It's not flashy. flashy. It's not complicated. It's not going to blow your mind, but it is going to help us run this race we're in. It is going to be helpful. It's slowing down considering some specific things, dwelling upon them, thinking deeply about them, paying attention to them. And so for the rest of our time that we have together, I want to slow us down and help us consider two things from Hebrews 12 that will help us run the race well all the way to the end. And it won't be comprehensive. Like we're not going to dive verse by verse and get a full picture of this Uh, teaching from Hebrews 12. There's going to be some meat left on the bone today, but I do think that if we dive deep into these two things, if we consider these two things, it's going to help us trust God to the end. So two things to help us do that. The first is this, consider Jesus. Look back at verse one with me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood." So these words comes on the heels of Hebrews chapter 11, which is a chapter full of story after story after story of people who ran the race by faith and reached the end with their faith intact. That whole chapter 11, the hall of faith that you can go back and see Pastor Tim talk about from a few weeks ago, it's a chapter that builds and builds and builds until we reach Jesus in chapter 12, who is the ultimate example of someone who ran the race and trusted God to the end. Yes, Hebrew says, look at Rahab, look at Moses, look at Sarah, look at Abraham, but look to Jesus above all. Get your eyes on him, pay attention to him, think about him deeply, fix your eyes and your thoughts upon him, slow down enough to get in his presence so that you can consider him. See, this is an invitation to create an anchor point in our lives amid all the stress, amid all the busyness, that this is an anchor point in your life so that you can think about Jesus deeply. Because here's the truth, is that you can't consider Jesus if you can't slow down. John Tyson, a pastor and writer, says this. He says, in the modern world, we live at a violent pace. There is no margin between moments to make sense of what is happening in our stories. Only accidents, sickness, setbacks, or strains seem to shake us from our frenetic pace. We lose the rhythm of grace when we live at a violent pace. We lose the ability to appreciate, savor, reflect, linger, enjoy. See, if we don't slow down, if we don't set aside time to linger in the presence of Jesus and take the opportunity to remind ourselves of who he is and what he has done, and what we have because of him, then we miss out on what's going to feed our souls and feed our ability to endure. 
That's why Hebrews says, look at Jesus, because when we look at Jesus, our faith gets fed. It's like a good steak that we feast on and we eat and it warms and fills our souls and it gives us strength to continue on. Hebrews says, that's why we look at Jesus, because when we do, it feeds our faith and that faith is fed by what we see. Because when we look at Jesus, Hebrews tells us that we see the founder and the perfecter of our faith and we see a way to live faithfully to the end. So Jesus, he's our champion. He's our leader. He's the one who won our salvation and fully accomplished what it took for us to have a life with God both now and forever. See, it was Jesus who took the nails in his wrists. It was Jesus who suffered on the cross. It was Jesus who died for you and for me. It was Jesus who removed everything that got in the way of us having a relationship with the creator of the universe, what we call sin in the Bible. And now this Jesus, he's at the Father's right hand in a place of authority and power, and his race is done. Nothing more needs to be added. Nothing more needs to be accomplished. Salvation is final. It's complete. It is finished. And Hebrews says, consider that. Think about your Savior and the great salvation we have because of him. Consider that. Slow down. Think about that. Ponder that. Start there the founder and perfecter of our faith, but don't just stay there. Think about also how Jesus ran his race because Jesus didn't just run his race to win salvation for us. He also ran his race and showed us what faithfulness looks like. See, Jesus has gone before us and he has shown us a way to live that is faithful to the end. Hebrews tells us he faced hostility. He battled sin and never gave into it. He faced down the cross and overcame its shame. And the question is, how did Jesus do it? How did he run his race faithfully? Verse 2 says it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. In other words, Jesus looked beyond the pain of the moment, the pain of the cross to the joy of resurrection. It wasn't that he didn't see the cross. In fact, Jesus saw the cross and he was terrified by it. The Bible tells us that the night before he went to the cross, he was in a garden and he was talking to God the Father and we see him wrestling with what he's about to experience. He actually asked the Father, if there's another way, show it to me, I'll take it. But not my will be done but yours, Father. See, Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the horror of the cross and the pain that he would experience there. But what got him to the other side, Hebrews 12 says, was his desire to do God's will and the joy that would come on the other side of suffering. See, Jesus was able to look beyond that temporary moment to his resurrection and ascension to God's right hand afterwards. He saw what his death would accomplish for you and for me. For Jesus, the momentary pain and shame was worth the lasting joy that he would experience. And we need to adopt this perspective because perspective changes our posture in the moments that we face. See, for you and for me, I don't know about you, but... So often my instinct is to try and avoid the pain or my instinct is to just look at the hardship I'm facing and that just consumes me and it controls my thinking and how I live. But Hebrews is inviting us to consider how Jesus ran his race. It's inviting us to see how he approached the pain and hardship in his life. It's inviting us to think about how Jesus is the one who faced down the cross and overcame its shame. 
It's inviting us to think about how Jesus won our freedom when he rose from the dead. It invites us to think about a Jesus who is seated at God's right hand with all authority and all power, who is king, who is savior, who is Lord, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who is our great high priest. It invites us to consider all these realities of who Jesus is, what he did and how he ran, and then draw strength from that and power from that to continue on our race all the way with God to the end. That's the first thing that Hebrews 12 invites us to do. It invites us to consider Jesus. He's gone before us and shown us the way to live that is faithful to the end. He's the ultimate example of endurance and trusting God to the end. And when we slow down and we consider him and his great work of salvation on our behalf, we find what we need to have hope again and to continue to press on in the race that ran. But that's only the first part because we don't want to just consider Jesus. We also, Hebrews 12 says, is consider the difference Jesus makes. Look at verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirit of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So one of the big questions that Hebrews seeks to answer is, can I approach God? Can I come into the presence of a holy God? And if I can, then how do I actually do that? Well, the simple answer is Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes a way for us to approach God and live in relationship with him. And one of the things that Hebrews verses eight, 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 18 is trying to do is show us how big a difference that Jesus makes in how we can approach God. And to do that, it uses two mountains, one from the Old Testament, the part of the Bible before Jesus, and one from the New Testament, the part of the Bible about Jesus and his early church. See, on one side you have Mount Sinai. And in the Bible, Mount Sinai is the place where God would come down to meet with his people. It was the place of great encounter with God throughout the Old Testament. It is where God's people, Israel, met with him. And then you have Mount Zion. And Mount Zion is a symbol of the new Israel, the church. It is the dwelling place of God and the focus of his promises. Zion for, for the people of God was a place of hope and it was the place where God was with his people. And so you have these two mountains and in Hebrews, these two mountains represent the old and the new covenants, those binding agreements that God made with his people throughout their life together. So you have Mount Sinai representing the Old Covenant and, a, and one way to approach God. And then you have Mount Zion that represents the New Covenant and a new way to approach God. And if you notice, one Mount Sinai is about fear and trembling. That the people didn't want to be anywhere too close to God. It was a terrifying specter to be near to the mountain and near to the God at the mountain. So you have this fear and trembling at Mount Sinai, but then at Mount Zion, you have awe and reverence. 
which is a different kind of fear. It's a holy fear of a great God. And the message that Hebrews is trying to impart to us here is that you had this kind of experience at Mount Sinai. Now look at the kind of experience you have of God at Mount Zion. At Mount Sinai, it's terrifying. The mountain can't be touched. It's burning with fire. There's darkness, there's glooms. There's a great storm, trumpets blasting and a loud voice speaking that no one wanted to hear. The picture is clear. It's a picture of the utter majesty and power of God, the absolute unapproachability of God and the terrifying experience of God that God's people had. Mount Sinai was a place of terror and separation from God, but Mount Zion is a different kind of place. For us who live in the era of the new covenant, for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, we have come to Mount Zion, the dwelling place of God, the heavenly Jerusalem. It's the city of the living God. It's a place with thousands and thousands of angels singing and worshiping, a heavenly worship service ongoing for all time. It's full of people who have put their faith in Jesus, who have finished their race. They're there with those angels and they're worshiping as well. It's this beautiful picture that looks so different from the picture we have at Mount Sinai. Scholar William Lane says this about these two mountains. He says, every aspect of the vision provides encouragement for coming boldly into the presence of God. The atmosphere at Mount Zion is festive. The frightening visual imagery of blazing fire, darkness, and gloom fades before the reality of the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem. The cacophony of whirlwind, trumpet blast, and a sound of words is muted and replaced by the joyful praise of angels in a festal gathering. The trembling congregation of Israel gathered solemnly at the base of the mountain is superseded by the assembly of those whose names are permanently inscribed in the heavenly archives. An overwhelming impression of the unapproachability of God is eclipsed in the experience of full access to the presence of God and of Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. This is the difference Jesus makes. He makes it possible for us to have a, a different kind of approach to God. He made this new relationship with God possible. He is the perfect priest and perfect sacrifice who made the unapproachable approachable. Put it all together and the reality is this, is that the work of Jesus changes our ability to approach and respond to God. He makes the difference. He has made a way for us to approach God without fear and trembling, but with awe and reverence. That we can actually come to God not afraid of him or trembling at the sight of him, but we can come with reverence, with a profound respect for God, for who he is, and in awe, this overwhelming feeling of wonder. It's this holy fear that we can come into the presence of a God this great and come right up close to his throne of grace. It's an amazing picture. And sometimes we need something to help us understand that better. And for me, it actually uh, brings to mind uh, a quote from one of my favorite novels by C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in it, they're talking about Aslan, which is kind of the Jesus figure in the Chronicles of Narnia stories. And some of the, the, the children are talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And in this scene, uh, this unfolds. Listen to how, to how they describe Aslan. Aslan is a, a lion? The lion? The great lion? Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and 
and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. See, this is the picture of Hebrews 12, is that God is not safe, but he is good. Being in his presence makes your knees knock and it stirs in us an overwhelming sense of wonder and holy fear. And because of Jesus, we are welcome into his holy presence, not because of anything that we've done, but only because of what Jesus has done for us. That's the difference that Jesus makes. He's made a way for us to approach God, to know him personally, to worship him, to live our lives, lives with him. He's made a way for us to come to the throne of grace, to find mercy and grace in our time of need. And Hebrews 12, it wants us to consider this. It wants us to think about the difference that Jesus makes. It invites us to consider Jesus and how he has changed our relationship to God. He's run the race before us and he knows what it's like. He gets what you're going through because he went through it too, but without sin. He made a way for you to come to the throne of grace to get the mercy and the grace and the strength that you need today and the days and weeks and months and years of running your race that are ahead. Hebrews is one big shout, look at what you have because of Jesus. Look at the hope and the help he offers you. Slow down, consider him and the difference that he makes. And that's what I wanna leave with you today is that Jesus is the key to running your race. Because when we slow down enough and to consider him and the difference he makes, that's when we find hope and the help we need to trust God all the way to the end.